hello, Karishma here, and welcome to Missteps to Success, a podcast which explores our failures and how they make up the fabric of our successes. My guest today is MJ. He's an ethical hacker, a web developer, and soon-to-be father. He's lived in Brooklyn, New York, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Los Angeles, California, and Nagoya, Japan. He credits mindfulness and stoicism for helping him battle depression and learning to be comfortable in his own skin. You can find him on igobymj.com where he writes about tech, health, finance, stoicism, and travel. This is my very first episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear our conversation. I will say I'm pretty sure I mispronounced stoicism throughout the entire conversation, but you know, we have a good time, and I think you'll really like this one. Hey, hey, MJ. How are you today? I'm doing good, Karishma. So nice to see you. You too. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. This has been a little bit of a hectic week, but I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah. Did you ever think of yourself as being a guest on a podcast? You know, I, I've i been, I've tried to make a podcast in the past. Really? And made one episode about tech and like tech hints and how to's with my buddy and oh, shared it with a few friends, but uh, we never followed up with it. So I, I, I definitely could have... Uh, seen myself on podcast, but this is the first time I've been invited to one. So I'm very excited. Oh, cool. Okay. So you have some experience. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. If you could call it that. <laughs> if you could call it that. Yeah. If you told me like 10 years ago that I would have been a host of my own podcast. Oh my God. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is very new for me. And this has been a project that I've been thinking about for a really, really long time. So I'm just happy to finally see it come to fruition. I will say that failure comes in many different forms, shapes, sizes for everyone. How has it shown up for you in your own journey? That's a, that's a great question. And like, I could really touch on three, three times in my life where Failure has shown itself and has left an impact. And I, I grew up in a, a pretty strict, not not necessarily strict, but my father was very, he had high demands. I think that's a good way to put it, right? And I grew up in Jamaica at first and I came to New York when I was almost seven. And I considered myself a pretty good student. And I would come home from my classes after taking an exam and I'll bring my 98s and my 95s and my 90s home to my dad. And his answer would always be, what happened to the other five points? What happened to the other two points? Why didn't you get the 100? And I, I, I understand where he's coming from, right? And I think it's a, a thing with parents where they want the best for their child. But for me, that made me feel like I was a failure. Even though I was doing pretty good, it made me feel as if I wasn't good enough. And that definitely left a last, lasting impact on my mindset or my, my views of myself when it comes to failure. And the second thing that I could think of was in college, I was in an English class. And prior to that class, I was breezing through college. GPA was amazing. And I bucked into this English teacher and every paper that I wrote for this guy, he was failing me. And I could not comprehend why. And I went to him and I said, listen, this doesn't seem right. And he said, all right, if you want to write the essays over again, I'll give you the ability to do that. And I spent my whole sophomore year, this was my sophomore year of college, 
rewriting my essays and he still failed me. And I did not even consider to take it to the dean or anything like that. I just considered myself a failure. Like I couldn't please this professor. And ever since then, I didn't take college that seriously after that. And uh, it's something I that does pop up in my brain every now and mm-hmm. now and again. And the last incident where failure played a big role in my life was at work at a prior company before this one. And I was knocking it out the park. I was doing great. I just got a few certifications. I was getting pay raises almost every six months. It was, I felt really good about myself. And a coworker told me about our company and said that there was a project available to go to Japan. And being a big geek weeb that I am, I I couldn't turn it down. I love Japanese culture. But when I got there, Japan was great, but my manager, me and him just bumped heads for some reason. And everything that I did wasn't good enough for him. And it seemed like I was the only one this was happening to. And it brought me into like severe depression where I was just down on myself. And like, I just felt like a failure again. And it wasn't until uh, maybe a year and a half ago that I got out of that. So I think something that I'm noticing with, with all three instances that you shared is that failure almost sort of had the same flavor for you in that it meant it gave you this feeling of not being good enough. Yeah. And I actually relate with you when you were talking about your experience with your father. Mm. It's really funny. I remember in high school, I wrote this paper for English class that I got a 100 on and I felt really proud of it. Nice. You know, and I, I took it to my dad and I was like, oh, I want you to read my paper. I got a hundred and he read it and he was like, you know, I'm surprised your teacher gave you a hundred. And it was just like this interesting, wow. like, whoa, you know, because <laughs> like, usually you look to numbers, right? To, to give you that sense of accomplishment or failure. And in school, it's grades, but it's amazing the impact that your parents, your managers, your professors have on you, even if those marks are in place. So, you know, what the example you gave on getting 98s or 95s and, and your dad still kind of being like, oh, but you know, you, you're missing this part here. Um, so I find yeah. that super interesting. Yeah. And just to, to touch on my dad, and I would say your dad as well, right? Uh-huh. I As I touched on in the beginning, I think our parents want the best for us. It's not like they're trying to, I don't know if I could curse here, but they're not trying to shit on us, right? Right. They want the best. And I think that's a product of their upbringing. And in some ways, they probably don't even know any better. They think that's how we talk to kids and that's going to get the best out of them. And I realize that now, but at the time... I just felt that I was not good enough. When I was in New York, we had this, uh, like, I think it was in fourth grade and fifth grade, you had to take a test to see your proficiency levels. And I was able to get top scores in that, but I just didn't take school seriously anymore because it felt like nothing I did was good enough for my dad. So what was the point of it all? And yeah, I could say the same thing that happened in college. You're right. I didn't even think about this before this conversation, right? It's it seems like there's a trend where there's this figure in my life that that made me feel that I wasn't good enough and I kind of just shut down afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. So, you said you went to school in Brooklyn when you were younger. 
Do you think yeah. uh, the environment you were in had an impact on you? I will say that my childhood was in San Jose, California. So I was in Silicon Valley and failure was very much tied to just not making money, not working at a big tech company. What has sort of your experience been with where you were regionally? I would I would love to hear about your experiences growing up in uh, Silicon Valley too. I would assume that it's very competitive. Yeah, yeah. So I remember growing up and, you know, you'd go into a coffee shop and it's just full of coders. <laughs> it's, it's definitely quite an experience. Yeah. And also, I think it just really nurtured in me this idea that you want to be doing well, not just for yourself, but for how you look in front of others. So we would go for a lot of family parties and stuff like that. And it was always kind of a flashy show of your house and, you know, how much money do you make? Do your kids go to the best private schools? So it, it almost was kind of, I want to do things to make me look good versus I want the best for yeah. myself. And I think Silicon Valley definitely had an impact on how I viewed the world, which was, you know, you want to do big things and you want to be able to show it off. But I'd be curious, since you're on the other side of the Whoa. country, what it was like for you. Yeah. Yeah, that was very cool hearing the perspective of somebody from the uh, from the West Coast. In New York, I grew up in Brooklyn. And when I moved to Brooklyn, it was predominantly a Caribbean community, I would say. And I don't know if this is a Caribbean thing, but it's it's the same thing that you described a while ago with the Asian, Southeast Asians wanting the best, got to be a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, well, that's how it was in, in, in my, with my father, at least. He wanted me to be an architect or an engineer, which is what I went to school for, because he was like, go to school for engineering. So I, I followed that path. But when I was growing up in New York, it was super competitive, not with school necessarily, but with everything else. People were competitive about fashion. If you wanted to play sports, you had to be good or people would clown you. Like it was, it was very competitive amongst my peers. And I think that kind of lit a spark in me to uh, always try to be my best if I really put my mind to it. I remember when I, when I, when I started playing basketball, I was really bad and I'm not gifted with, with the most height, but I didn't want to be made fun of. So I practice and I practice and I practice and I practice because I didn't want my peers to view me as less than. And that was the kind of vibe I saw or the kind of uh, vibe it was in, in, in Brooklyn where everybody was kind of trying to one-up each other, even if it was fashion, whatever it was, it was just a super competitive neighborhood area, I would say. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm interested in the fact that we grew up on opposite ends of the country, but we both kind of went through that idea of, being better than everybody else. Um, and yeah. speaking of competitiveness, you know, as bad as it may be, right, it, it does bring up something good, which is, you know, you said you practiced basketball and, you know, it, it probably got you to reach a higher potential than you would have before. What's kind of your take on competitive nature? Is it more bad than good? There's nothing wrong with competition. I think competition helps you get better as long as it's it's healthy competition you're competing against other people right when i was playing with basketball i was competing against other people but i've realized now that it's not really about competing with other people per se it's really about competing with yourself 
because if I'm just worried about what somebody else is doing, I am comparing myself to them and maybe I'll never be as good as that person. But if I could be a little bit better than I was the day before, I think that is a great way to go about things. And that's what I try to do now. I do Nike Run Club and one of the uh, guided coaches on there says, try to go to bed a more elite version of yourself. Is there an experience or, or a new thing that you've tried to pick up or any incremental progress you've made on anything that you're competing with yourself with? Yeah, October of 2019, I've tried to do something that gives me the opportunity to fail. Recently, I've tried to get better at mm-hmm. penetration testing, what mm-hmm. I do for a living, right? And part of that was, I really wanted to get this certification for the uh, certified ethical hacker. I took this test thinking I was hot shit and I failed it on the, on the first go. And it really, really uh, like opened my eyes up to, Hey, you actually need to put some work in to, to get the certification. And I took it the second time and I studied and I failed it again. I remember I pressed submit. I was like, I don't know if I passed, but I think I felt like I did really good on this exam. And I pressed submit and it said, uh, I'm sorry to inform you, but you failed. And it really broke my heart. And the third time I took it, I passed the test, which which I was super happy about, of course. But it, it wasn't like one success that happened right away. You know what I mean? And it took, it was gradual steps that led me to that. And it's kind of like exactly what this podcast is about. If I was to just post this on social media, be like, yo, I passed my CEH. Nobody would know about the struggles that I went through that night where I failed it and I was pounding my pillow and stressed out and sad, but just hit the drawing board and go back at it again. And I eventually passed. Well, I have to say very big belated congratulations on getting that certification. <laughs> I appreciate awesome. that. And I have a, I have a couple comments here. So the first thing you were saying with the first attempt, you know, you thought you were hot shit. You didn't really study. That's so interesting because I would love to like think that way of myself. And it's actually a huge battle with confidence, right? I want to be confident in my ability, Mm. but sometimes I get scared and I'd rather not be confident because it's so much worse to believe in yourself and then fail at that point. And the second thing that I wanted to comment on was kind of that idea of posting on social media and saying, oh, I got the certification. That's, I think, something I find really interesting when I have a lot of these informational interviews with people, just kind of learning about their careers or trying to find mentors. And it just looks like all of their accomplishments or achievements are kind of one after the other in a very linear fashion. And I've had people come and talk to me and they're like, oh, you know, you work at this great company. You know, what do I need to do? And I'm like, you don't know how many times I've applied. You don't know how many people I had to talk to. You don't know Um, how much work my application took. So. I just, I love that you kind of brought that idea up of, of remembering when you see people and their accomplishments, that there's, there is a story behind it and there's no way every single person went one after the other. Of course. What, well, just to backtrack a little bit, right. I just wanted to say that I wasn't like, (laughs) I wasn't like Kobe Bryant cocky, may he rest in peace, where I just thought I was hot shit with a test, right. We work in pen testing. So that's why I was, I had that confidence. You know, I do this for a living. Maybe it wouldn't be that that challenging, but to my surprise, it was challenging, which, which definitely humbled me. Failure is a part of 
success. I just finished reading this book called The Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday. He has a he has a channel on YouTube called uh, The Daily Stoic and he is big on failure. He talked about Abraham Lincoln how he suffered through depression or he failed so many times trying to get into law or Andrew Jackson who was not a gifted orator. He couldn't speak at all and he failed so many times speaking, but what he found out that he was good at writing and he wrote, he penned the Declaration of Independence, right? Or the famous one about Thomas Edison, where I haven't failed a thousand times. It was like a thousand step process. And I think that's, that's missing in our culture now, where we are glorifying the successes without really glorifying the, the failures in between the successes. And I, I think that's important too. Yeah, well, something that you you bring up is this idea of success just sort of being this arbitrary thing, right? I don't think anyone's really defined it. And for me, it's kind of been just whatever anyone else wanted me to be. And it took me a really mm-hmm. long time to kind of question that. What does success mean for me? Because a failure is only me missing my mark of success. But my mark of success is always arbitrarily defined. And I'll give an example. I actually also recently took, you know, a pen testing certification and I did fail it. Yes. But strangely, I didn't feel like I actually failed. And this was a huge moment for me because I felt like I failed countless times in my life if I didn't get anything that I was working on. Right. Mm. And this is a test that I've been studying for months. But the fact that I'd been studying it just gave me so much confidence in my job that regardless of if I had the actual tangible certification mailed to my house, the increase in confidence and knowledge that I had and the respect that I was getting from people regardless meant so much to me. And it was funny. I remember one of my managers asked like, oh, you know, did you pass? And I said, I personally passed, you know, in a very personal way. Wow. Yeah, it was, I it like was that. really cool to say. But <laughs> yeah, I just based on what you said, that quote with, you know, I, I didn't fail a thousand times. It was just a 1000 step process. It kind of brings us back to this idea of, yeah, you only failed if you defined it as such, right? If, you're, if your measure of success was, I need to get all of these 1000 things to work. Just kind of switching gears a little bit. You know, oftentimes we focus on failure and and what it looks like to ourselves, right? But do you have examples of kind of viewing failures from others and how that may have influenced or changed your own relationship with failure? Yeah, you know, I, I often think about when my mom came from Jamaica. She came from Jamaica about a little over 10 years ago, I think. And when she came, she wanted to get into the healthcare industry. And she was just a bundle of nerves when she was, she had to take this test to be certified and she was just always stressing about it. And uh, she took it a few times and she failed it. Uh, I don't, she took it a bunch of times and she failed it. And she just felt like she couldn't, she couldn't get over the hump. And eventually she, she passed it kind of a similar story to me and the CEH, but she eventually passed it. And it made me look into myself a little bit more introspectively and really question why I am afraid of of failing. And it's kind of 
to the stuff that we talked about with my father and my teacher and my jobs, these situations have definitely put something in my brain. And that was the start of me realizing that failure is not such a, such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got into meditation and a little bit of stoicism that I really started accepting failure and started seeking out yeah. failure a little bit more. Saw I it myself. That. Yeah, no, I, I love that you you brought your mom up, right? A very close familial relationship. Because I, I have a mm. similar story and mine's actually the other way around. So I think for you, your mom kind of went through this experience before you, right? She's older. And so you're kind of viewing it as yeah. like, okay, she's older to me. She's going through life. She's okay. She's still going for it. But for me, it's, it's the other way. My younger sister, actually, you know, I've seen her go through school and sometimes if she doesn't get a grade she wants or, you know, whatever, and seeing the toll that takes on her, it's it's been amazing to me to be like, oh, yeah, that stuff doesn't matter as much. And I know that she's going to grow through that and she's she's going to be successful and none of these little minuscule failures matter as, as much as you think they do in the moment. And so that then gets applied back to me in an interesting way, seeing my younger sister and realizing I'm past that point and you know, I'm I'm in a different time and, and things are better and things are different. That's awesome. I I I think it's we could learn these lessons from anybody, no matter yeah. how old they are, right? I like looking at young kids because it reminds me of how to be to be free, to be carefree, if you will. And I think that's important for anybody to not be so stressed out or caught up in our own mess. But as far as failure is concerned, if you think about our life as a whole, right, our failure is just a blip, just a speck on this long journey that is our life. Yeah. Uh, Well, I also wanted to touch on something you brought up a little bit earlier. You mentioned starting to practice meditation. You know, what kind of prompted Mm -hmm. that for you? And what were some powerful realizations that you unlocked through meditation? And I'm actually very excited for you to talk about this because I myself have not practiced meditation yet, but I'm really looking to get into it. And I've been hearing a lot about it. So yeah, just really interested to hear what you have to say. Oh, for sure. Not to sound um, too grandiose with the topic of meditation, but it's, it's literally changed my life, I would say. A lot of times my brain is just at full speed, just going off, thinking a whole bunch of stuff going in directions that it has no business going into. What meditation has done is allowed me to take a step back and just like your arm is a part of your body and your arm doesn't dictate what you do or say or think, your brain is also a part of your body, right? And instead of our brain controlling us and telling us, how to live our life and when to be sad, we could take a step back and look at our brain as a part of our body and determine whether what it's saying, whether it serves us, whether it's beneficial, what is really the emotions that are coming up, what is causing them and just come back to the present. And that's what meditation has done for me. Instead of thinking about the past or thinking about the future, I'm able to come back to the here and now because that's where everything is. Well, I'm about to get really meta for a second. And you don't have to have any thoughts on this. I just kind of want to call attention to this. Okay, hit me. Isn't it crazy that, you know, you mentioned our mind sometimes can take control of us and we need to take control of it. But it's crazy because 
that's our mind to contradict what that thing is telling us. Right. And I, I just think that's yeah. so fascinating. Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle, I don't know how to say his last mm-hmm. name is spelled funky, but he, he has a great book about this called The Power of Now. And he has a, another book called A New Earth. It sounds very new agey, but he talks about this in depth, right? And he looks at it as like, there are two things going on in your, in your, uh, in your body or in your head. One is your brain and one is your, like your inner consciousness is your actual self. And sometimes we get drowned out by our brain making so much noise. But if we were able to, when you're able to take a step back and actually observe your brain, that's yourself. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I think that's a good way to look at it. And that's how I look at it, where I'm able to observe my brain a little bit more. It's meta as fuck, but that's, that's kind of the approach that has helped me. And I think also something else that's, that's very interesting is sort of this idea of taking a step back, which you brought up with meditation. And Mm. I mean, me, like, I've been going through a lot of personal struggles and growth recently. And I've been told in order to kind of get your mind off of that, stay busy, keep active. But in doing that, I'm not actually letting myself think what I need to think through and, you know, make decisions for myself on how I want to be to move when I move forward. I'm just kind of doing stuff to distract myself and all the the thoughts are still in my head, just kind of buzzing around. So, you know, I think I like what you said about that idea of taking a step back and letting yourself meditate. Even if it is 20 minutes of your day, it's going to save you like months of despair just because you've been like putting it off. Well, along with meditation, you said you mentioned practicing and I can never say it right. Stoicism. (laughs) Yeah. Is that right? Or is it stoicism, right? Yeah, stoicism okay. is what, that's right. what I use. I could be All wrong. Right. Cool. <laughs> well, what about stoicism yeah. resonates most with you? And also just for our listeners who may not be familiar, if you could just kind of give like a little brief uh, overview on what it's about. Yeah. Well, stoicism is a philosophy, right? And when I was growing up, I heard you're being stoic or somebody's stoic. And I would always think that means that they just don't care. And uh, that's what I thought when I first got into it. I could guarantee you, I, I do care. But stoicism has been helpful as well with meditation because it's given me the ability to see things as a bigger picture, if you will. Like a big part of, of stoicism is the fact that we're all, we're all connected in a way. And it, I like the analogy of the beehive. We're all a big beehive, if you will. If one side of the beehive is, is not doing well, we have to tend to it, take care of it. It's very much about taking care of yourself first. My idea of stoicism is taking care of yourself, making sure that you are okay, that whether that be financially, whether that be mentally. And then once you are personally good, you take care of your family. And once your family is good, you take care of the community. And once the community is good, you take care of the bigger community, you take care of the planet. And that is a big part of Stoicism. If you read the books of one of the most prominent names in Stoicism, um, former Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, he preaches that regularly, that we are all part of one big body. We are all together in this thing, and we just need to figure out a way to coalesce, to work together in a way that benefits the greater whole. 
So that's one big part of stoicism that I really like. So I actually uh, was thinking of something when you were talking about stoicism, and that's, it's interesting how, you know, when we watch those safety videos in a plane, they always say, like, put the oxygen mask on yourself before helping others. So it's kind of goes back to your idea of making sure you you make sure you're okay in all parts, whatever that means, you know, kind of before moving on to your family, right? You can't help if you haven't been helped yourself. And I I also read up a little bit on it because I didn't really know about it until we spoke. But something else that was interesting to me was we have all these great inventions as humanity, right? Lots of medical discoveries and technological advances. And as important, I'll argue the medical discoveries are important. But you know, when it comes to like technological advancement, like the fact that I can now check my texts on my watch is great, but there's still nothing better than the simple human characteristics of honesty, and bravery, and, you know, taking care of justice appropriately, you know, all of those things. So I think stoicism is something everyone should definitely at least give the time of day to and check out. I think it's a great philosophical practice and there's a lot in there that resonated with me. Yeah, I I would agree with you. It's definitely been worth my time. So I would recommend your listeners to, to give it a shot as well. Thank you, MJ. Giving us a lot of takeaways today. Before we close out, I just want to ask, what is something about yourself that you are so proud of today that you believe stems from your more difficult moments or challenges? Whoa, that's that's a great question. I, I think my the challenges have definitely shaped me to be the person that I am. When I think about the mistakes I've made or the failures that we've talked about today, it's definitely made me a lot more compassionate. Mm. And I feel like the compassionate part is something that my family has, has said about me recently growing up in New York, it was very aggressive. I felt like I was always going at somebody's neck, right? Oh, interesting. And my my failures have humbled me in a way where I've realized that that we are, and it goes back to stoicism too, we are all in this, in this life and people, we're all making, mm-hmm. we're all failing, I would say. We're all making mistakes. We're all a product of our upbringing. And instead of me shitting on somebody else, be more compassionate yeah. because I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought that up, too, because I resonate so hard with that. You know, middle school Mm. and high school Krishma was so judgmental. Like, (laughs) I judged people so hard. And it's just so interesting. You know, once I started going through my own struggles and challenges and failures, and I was just like, Oh, <laughs> like I'm I'm so mean. Like, yeah. you know, everyone's got their own stuff going on. Well, thank you so much, MJ. Thanks. This has been a pleasure and an eye-opening conversation. You have so many insights. I really enjoyed talking with you, Karishma. Good luck on your podcast. And I'm really excited about the future of this thing. I think it's a important conversations to have. And would love to uh, come back again if you would have me sometime in the future. Awesome. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening. If you've got a story you'd like to share, DM me on Instagram at missteps2success. If you like what you heard today, it would be really awesome if you could leave me a review. This was Missteps to Success, and I'm Karishma. Until next time.